Welcome back, y'all, to another incredible episode of the Emmy Golden Globe winning. I know you told me award. I know you told me none of those awards. Jazz hands. <laughs> none of those awards exist, but they do in my mind and my other personalities. Welcome back to the uh, Pastors of Pain show. Father Kerry Wakulich here and the uh, great illustrious Red Dirt Riviera, also known as Stillwater America. And I'm here with my uh, co-host. No, no, no. Co-host? Is that right? Co-pilot? Shotgun? God is my co-pilot. Remember that bumper sticker? <laughs> God is my co-pilot. I'm here with my buddy, my amigo, the other pastor of Payne County, Father Brian O'Brien. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hello. I came to say hello, hello. It's good to be with you. Uh, we're into September now. Uh, we're just off and running. It's cooling down a little bit, a Ooh. little bit. Duck season is on Which the horizon. Which is nice. And uh, we, our roommate is uh, digging life here, Father Robert Duck. Because uh, now we, you know, there's three. Now we have three priests in Stillwater. As I told the people a couple of weeks back, we with his arrival, we have 100 percent more priests at our parish. <laughs> We're doubling the number of priests. Um, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yes, it is wonderful indeed. So he is a he is a new arrival. And we're gearing up. We have our like stu- our stewardship renewal is this time of year, so we're asking people to really give uh, some really prayerful consideration to time, talent, and treasure. Time. How are you going to spend time with the Lord? What's your prayer life like? Mm. What, so making making some commitments some to really Eucharistic, improve. So renewal of Eucharistic amazement. Yeah, that's what we talked about last Whoa. time. You know, of, of of reading the scriptures more, of spending coming to daily mass, uh, coming to coming to Sunday mass more regularly. If you're not, if you know, if you're not regular, uh, so time and then talent. What you know, what gifts has God given you that you can give back to our parish? I have four eyes and to the larger community. Oh, and then your treasure, right? God, God has given you so much, and so being able to giving back, not necessarily for just what the church needs. But giving out of the goodness that God has given you, giving back to the church, uh, and to the diocese yeah. and to, to other charities. Anyway, it's good. It's good stuff. So this is that time of year. Very important for our for our church. It's exciting. It's exciting. And it's September. Duck season is on the horizon. I, d- I don't want you say it's you know it's cooling. I want it to warm up just a little bit because I was a late season planter of duck food. So now I'm kind of like. Uh, I'd like this to accelerate growth really quickly. I'll see so what I can do. I'm going to have to go put some miracle grow on it or get some manure and scatter it along my uh, my duck plot uh, to make this stuff grow to bring Where is your in. duck plot? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Secrets, secrets are no Wait, wait. Secrets, secrets tell, are so tell. fun. <laughs> secrets, secrets are not made for everyone. What did Ben Franklin say? A uh, secret is a secret w- between 3 people when two are dead. A secret is safe between three people if two of them are dead. Yeah, uh-huh. that's a good one. I learned that in my high school English class. I never forgot it. Have you have you read the? Uh, I told you about that book called the uh, Sinking of the Scorpion. Like it was called like uh, the Russians sank it, the Americans buried it, uh, and th- it was interesting. Like a, you say, a secret. He went to interview this guy, this rear admiral, and the rear admiral had forgot the cover story. And so he was talking about the seeking of the scorpion in uh, Memorial Day of 68, 69, and he forgot the cover story. And so now he's like an 80-year-old rear admiral, 
And he says, oh, wasn't that a sad day when the Russians torpedoed our nuclear sub? Oh, yeah. And, you're like, out. and he's like, I'm sorry, what? But that, that had never, it had been a battery malfunction for all those years. Wow. For 40 years. Liars. <laughs> liars. You know where liars go? Confession. They go to confession. That where people correct. To prepare themselves for Holy Communion. That's correct. <laughs> what cool, it's with the three. Off yes. the rim. Falls short. Okay, so, uh, so you got a new arrival as a priest. You got a stewardship going along. Okay, so I hear... I hear rumblings that Mother Teresa is coming to town. Whoa, whoa, whoa. She's okay. here. She's I, arrived. I, I, okay, how did you get her body from Calcutta, India <laughs> to Stillwater, America? That's what I would really, really like if to know. If people knew that, they would be. You be, seriously got Mother Teresa of Calcutta here? No. So we, we named, when we first moved in to our new church in March of uh, 2018, we have uh, a little chapel, if you didn't know. Oh, I thought you were going to name that after me. We were going to. <laughs> we are three. We are three choices. We're going to name it after uh, a wonderful saint. We we're going to name it after a mediocre priest. <laughs> or we we're going to name it after uh, former Chicago Bears coach Mike Ditka. <laughs> but and Ditka's already in two Hall of Fames, so he's not going to he make it into the famer. church. So we we we. Despite our love for uh, for 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 Ditka, <laughs> we. Uh, we put that aside. <laughs> we realized that uh, we probably shouldn't name things after people who are still living. Oh, yes. So that took you out of the picture. <laughs> that took me out. Uh, and so then we settled on naming our chapel after Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Now St. Teresa of Calcutta, uh, who, you know, wonderful life. Died in 1997. Before that, lived an unbelievable life. Was a... Uh, was a school teacher. She was in the Sisters of Loretto. Uh, was a school teacher, by all accounts, a very good one. Uh, you know, very dedicated to her prayer life and to community life. And then one of one of my favorite things about the Mother Teresa story, because I think this it applies to everybody. Uh, she so she had a vocation as a religious sister. So she's on a train. I forget where she was going, but she's on a train, and God is really speaking to her, and she has this kind of this revelation. Of of founding an order uh, to serve the poorest of the poor. Wow! Yeah. And so what I like about it is, because I really do, I think this is true of all of us. She had what she called a vocation within a vocation. So she had a vocation as a religious sister, but within that, this this other vocation flowered of being of service to the poor. So you know, if you're married, if you're married, or you know, we're priests, right? Oftentimes, though, you get this sort of vocation within a vocation. You know, so mm. guys who, uh, a Bishop Barron, you know, who is, is a priest and a bishop, but he has this other vocation of like in the, in the world of media, right? And he felt called to that, and he's very good at that. So she has this vocation to serve the poorest of the poor in, in India. And so that's what she does. She follows that and uh, follows through and becomes a Nobel Prize winner and world famous and advisor to uh, popes and presidents and this this sort of modern day icon of of Christian love right I, I I like the fact that y'all named that chapel the adoration chapel I learned to pray with the missionary sisters of charity I lived in their homeless shelter in Phoenix for a month and they said this is the brother this is our schedule for prayer and I took it and I'm like 4:30 a.m. Yeah. And so we got up at 4:30 a.m. and prayed with them. Yep. And they would they would pray the rosary but they'd also sit there and just like we talked about Eucharistic amazement. They would sit there and just in quiet deep oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ in humble adoration. 
in prayer. And that's where their strength came from. I mean, yes. there wasn't by their own power. They knew, you know, I've used the analogy of like spiritual radiation. You know, when you're in Eucharistic adoration, when you're in the Mass, the Lord is just pumping into you the rays of His of His goodness. And that's what gives you the strength to be able to go out and, and to do it. And even be martyrs. There's several sisters. Yeah. That... Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they are truly dedicated. And where did it start? It started with Mother Teresa responding to God's call on that train. Yes. And so we na- anyway, we named our, our little chapel. And, and so her. then you're like, you're, you've stolen her body from India and no. brought it here. So then we have, if you've been to our church, we have in the nave, which is the main part of the main body of the church, we have these beautiful statues. Um, in the church, we have six statues. Uh, no, we have eight statues. Sorry, eight, eight. Wow. So we have one. One is not like the other. We have uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. When you come in on the left, um, that actually came over from the old church, Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, which I think at some point we will we will replace with one that looks like the others to have a little okay. th- that kind of architectural consistency. But then we have Mary and Joseph, which are actually larger. Those statues are actually larger than the others. Then we have uh, St. John, St. Peter, St. Paul, and St. James. Okay. Peter and Paul, who were companions, didn't always get along, but were companions. We have James and John, who were brothers. And then we like to keep uh, Peter, James, and John all together because they were kind of Jesus' big three. Correct. And then above that, you have, like, the angels and the Oh, and then, so then above that, yeah, it's actually, I guess we have 11 statues. Because then we have, above that, we have uh, the archangels, two archangels, and then above that, we have the crucifix. And then on the right, St. Francis exam. All the way over is uh, not Blessed Stanley Rother. The number of people, it's very interesting when we have guests, they say, oh, is that, that's Blessed Stanley Rother? And I say, no, it's St. Francis Xavier. Oh, because he's like, he's, you know, a white guy with a beard. That must be Stanley <laughs> that Rother. That must be Stanley Rother. Uh, and I think maybe we will have a Blessed Stanley Rother statue eventually, because we actually have four other spots in the nave where statues can go. So that's just something we're still growing. We're still moving in. So that's something that we'll build up to. So we decided we wanted to do in our Mother Teresa Chapel um, a statue of St. Teresa of Calcutta. So we contacted our statue people, uh, Ferdinand Stuflesser in Italy, and we did a little f- we did a little fundraiser. We sold these like prints of the church uh, that that uh, an artist from Oklahoma City did, and that funded the purchase of this statue. And so it has now arrived, and it's Whoa. in, and uh, we blessed it on, uh, or I should say we are going to bless it on uh, her feast day, which is September 5th. Cool, man. That's awesome. Yes. Okay, awesome. question, question. So we're, you, you, there's lots of, you, you went down the list of statues. Why, why is it, okay, that Catholics have statues and images in churches. Is it, I mean, there's like that line from the Old Testament that says you shall not make graven images of the heavens above or the earth It's in the, ten, the, it's in the ten Commandments, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. It's 20. Oh, is that word? It's the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So are we seriously violating, violating one of the top three then, or is there something else about images that we need to know? Uh, are we violating the first commandment by... Mm-hmm. By making... Images. No. Well, well, please tell, instruct oh. us and the listeners, Father O'Brien. So there's, there's a couple things. So there's, there's, there's one actually wonderful scripture 
I mean, yes. So the the God God has forbidden these these the the worship of the of these graven images. But wor- okay, worship. Got it. Okay. So the oh, the line is, uh, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything <coughs> that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, or serve them. Okay, bow down or serve them. Okay, so uh, there seems to be a contradiction. God says that in the Ten Commandments, and then when the instruction comes out for the making of the Ark of the Covenant, there are angels on both sides. Yeah, so there are there are actually scripture passages where the Lord commands us to uh, make statues, like like the images on the Ark of the Covenant. His is the the throne of God. Yeah. Uh, so five five chapters later. So five, wait, wait. It's only five chapters. Exodus twenty is the Ten Commandments. Exodus twenty-five, <laughs> uh, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Wait, didn't he just say, "Don't make any images of the heavens above"? Or the of other? hammered work <laughs> shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end of one piece of the mercy seat. Shall you make the cherubim on its two ends, etc. But so he doesn't say wor- he doesn't say worship them because I think that's what you know in in the Ten Commandments, first one, it talks about worship of them. Yeah, because they're, so they're going back to you know you look at like in in the Book of Exodus is the the, the worship of like the golden calf uh, yes. that they that they worship the golden calf as if that image was was a god. Oh, that's right. He says, "Here is your god, O Israel." Yeah. yeah. Right. And they bowed down, and then they took the golden calf and melted it, and everyone had to drink it. I love Aaron's response. He's like, "What?" Ha-? Moses says, "What happened?" He goes, "Well, I I collected all the gold, I put it into the fire, and out came this calf." That's well, the that's oh the actual. <laughs> okay, well, there's that other one. So that's one. Uh, then we also have First Chronicles twenty eight. So oh, a couple a couple books later. First Chronicles. Uh, Go on. David gave Solomon. Uh, so let's see. For the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight, also his plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear by the writing of the hand of the Lord concerning it all. So statues of of angels. Oh right, yes. David David made that. W- w- where's made the that. one about the serpent? That like not only like he said they're, they're bit by seraph serpents when they're in the desert. So Moses, Numbers twenty one, Numbers twenty one. So mm-hmm. they're in the in the desert. They're journeying. They get bit by seraph serpents, and then God says, "Hey, look at the serpent on a cross. You have to look at it." Yep. And by looking at the image of the serpent on a cross or on a staff, they're healed. God tells Moses, "Make a statue of a fiery serpent and set it on a pole." And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit any man, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay. So not only the making, but then the, the command to, to then look upon the, the image, look upon the, the statue. And then the, lo- the looking brings about some good. In this case, healing from a snake bite. In our case, in, the, in, in our modern age, looking upon a statue and recalling the life of the person in the statue and meditating on what God has done in their life. 
I, I have always found it, and this is sort of my, I mean, I grew up Catholic, you know, so we've always, I've always had statues around in our home growing up. Right. Mary and Joseph um, and John F. Kennedy, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> John uh, F. Kennedy, every Irish. Mary and Joseph, you know, the, the, whether, whether a painting on the wall or whether a statue, uh, as they're just these reminders of God's, good, of God's goodness and how God works through his people to bring about holiness. Right. Okay, you know, interesting, a couple things. Uh, just from the early church. Have you ever been in the catacombs of San Priscilla in Rome? Uh, I, don't I think, think so. you and I, I went to, uh, when we were in Rome at some point in time with the I Bishop Kelly High School I think I've been in the catacombs students. of St. Cecilia. Is that the one with the oldest image of Mary and Jesus? It's like painted on a wall right above one of the. I've seen that tomb. image. I don't know if I've seen it. So, in so person. even in the early church, there is a lot, uh, a lot of images. Uh, the churches. You've been in the basement of San Clemente, right? I have. So as you go down the stairs to the scavia, the basement under San Clemente, which San Clemente, there's like three churches built on top of each other, and you'll look down the wall, and they're cut off at the torso. So in the early church, ah. I mean, when you look around, they didn't have a lot of statues. There wasn't a lot of wood carving things and stone making. A lot of paintings, a lot of icons, like Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. If you go into the catacombs under St. Peter's Basilica, you see the paintings of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. Uh, you see, um, you know, even on the tombs at the Vatican Museum, those, uh, those sarcophaguses uh, with Jonah and the whale. Uh, there's all this art and stuff to do what? It, it, it's, the, it's that line from Aristotle. He says, if it doesn't come through the senses, it's never in the mind. Ooh. If it's not in the senses, it's never in the mind. And so we, it sounds like what we've done as Catholics is we've tried to teach people. We've tried to instruct them in the faith, both by word, by reading, by hearing, but also visually. To When we want to talk about, like we've been talking about the Eucharist, you know, oh, that yeah. there's that scene from the book of Revelation with the lamb on the altar and all the saints around them and even saints under the altar. And so what do we do in churches is we just paint them all over the walls. So to visually represent to us what's from the scriptures, that we're surrounded by hosts of heaven, cherubim and seraphim singing endless praises. And then even that reading from, those, from Hebrews a couple weeks back, Hebrews 12, you know, you are surrounded by so great a cloud of oh, witnesses. Yeah. And so we visually represent that. When you walk into the church, we, even when you walk into St. John's, right? You walk in, and what do you see? You go straight ahead, the tabernacle, brown the walls, crucifix. But then there's the, the, oh, those yeah. images of Mary and Joseph. Right. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so w- what's wrong with a reminder of that? Um, we don't worship Mary. We don't worship Joseph. We don't worship St. Francis Xavier. But recalling their life makes us better Christians of realizing what God did through them inspire be inspired by when I walk out that door I don't go out that door very often at, at, the, at the church but when I go by I look up at St. Francis Xavier and I ask him for his prayers for me uh, and I like to say I just have a little prayer that I and I say St. Francis Xavier make me a missionary like you Ooh. and so it's that it rekindles in me like the fire to be like him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, because or, the, yeah, because the Cimarron River, exactly. Cimarron. This because the saints are alive in heaven praying for us. Yep, that's all they do. So then I would say, you know, it's it's interesting too because you hear, and I don't, we don't get this a lot from a like a. Uh, I mean, I don't have people kind of criticizing, but there was one, actually there was one day I was I was in the church, and this like a couple came in, young young couple, and they looked like they had not 
been there before. Like they were just, you know, visiting. So I showed them around and I was kind of giving them a history of the church and showing mm-hmm. them. And like this guy immediately went to like, why do you like what, what's up with these statues? And he was, I mean, he didn't come out and say it, but his like his tone and his was, why do you, you shouldn't, you basically, you shouldn't have these. <laughs> um, and so I, I didn't really, I didn't get into it with him that day. It was, it was a kind of a short visit and there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't the relationship to kind of have that discussion. Correct. But on a very basic level, uh, if I were to come into, you know, if you come to my office uh, or if you go into my room, right, what do I have? I have pictures of my family. Mm-hmm. I don't worship my family. I have pictures of my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and my grandparents, right? They're there to what? To remind me, one, that I have a family and to, you know, not forget to call them and, and pray for them. And um, it's, not a, it's not a worship. It's a reminder. Correct. And so that's where I think the, the, the criticism of Catholicism that we sort of are into graven images and that they lead us to worship, those same people who would say that don't hesitate to have a picture of Jesus up in their home. Well, the image, the, the picture of Jesus isn't Jesus. It's a <laughs> reminder of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the same is true of, of a, you know, a picture in your home of grandma. That's not grandma. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an image of my grandma. Yeah, right. That, that reminds me of my grandma. But then it's actually interesting that, that those same, same folks, a lot of times, will put out a nativity scene at Christmas. What? Um, you know, and so what, what's a nativity scene? They would say, well, that's no, we're not worshiping that. It's just a reminder that it's Christmas time. Well, there's Mary, and there's Joseph, and there's the baby Jesus, and there's the sheep, and there's the wise men, and it's a it's a reminder that these th- that this event happened. I don't believe that that statue of the, of of the donkey is a donkey. <laughs> you know, it's not a donkey, but it reminds me of donkeys. You know, right. So anyway, so I think a lot of that a lot of that criticism, if you just take it one, and this is so true of so many, I think of criticisms of Catholicism, if you just go go one level deeper, don't just, if you stay at the surface, Catholics worship Mary. Okay, s- stick with me for five minutes. Go one level deeper, and that argument is done. Right. Catholics worship images. Uh, okay, I, I can see why you say that, because we have statues up in our church. Co- just co- walk with me. One level deeper. Let's look at a few scripture passages. Let's look at church history and realize that we don't. Yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, if you look back through the church history, you, you remember we talked about this the, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago about the uh, second. We were talking about iconoclasm heresies, the smashing of these are uh, the things we talk about in our rectory. The smashing of images, and I had to figure out which council, the Second Council of Nicaea in. Second Council of Nicaea. Some people talk about their like how was how was your day at work? We just we just come home and we launch right into the history of iconoclasm. Right. So uh, iconoclasm heresy, Council of Nicaea two seven eighty seven, is the restoration of uh, the veneration of icons of images, images of the saints, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Holy Theotokos, and even the image of God, of Jesus Christ. A- at the heart of images is. God has come in the flesh. The incarnation. The incarnation. We believe in the incarnation, the so therefore we can do this. And, and the rise of it was actually kind of this, um, well, the, the convergence of 
of Christianity and Islam in the same lands. Because Islam and Judaism don't believe you can make images of, of God. And Christianity says, well, Jesus has, is the, the face of the invisible God. And so we can make images of him. And so for 200 years, monks in the Eastern Church were getting killed by other Christians, by different emperors of the Roman Empire and Constantinople, because they held that the veneration icons was still necessary part of our lives to grow in prayer and deeper relationship with God. Ooh. So the iconoclasm heresy was then said, if, if you don't believe that you can make uh, images of Jesus and the saints, then you're a heretic. That's the, that's the end result yep. of the Second Council of Nicaea in 787. Yep. If you don't believe this, you're a heretic. Because it's a direct violation, a contradiction to the incarnation. Boom. Amazing. I, I would... I, you That's know, really good. You know, say, uh, a lot of churches, when after the uh, Second Vatican Council, they threw a lot of statues out and a lot of images out and then started building churches to look like basically blank walls. I, I think that's the iconoclasm heresy comeback. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there was a movement. Beige I mean, Catholicism. Some of our older, our older listeners will remember, you know, of like these sort of beautiful cathedrals that were sort of whitewashed. And it was meant to, and I, I think on one level, I mean, there, I always like to see the best intentions in people. I think their intentions were good. That that there was this there was this thought that all of that sort of imagery was getting in the way of the of worship of God, uh, and so let's simplify it. And that's not what the Second Vatican let's Council say, taught. No, no. <laughs> and so, it, so it was uh, yeah, kind of a misapplied um, teaching. And now what you're seeing is a lot of, of you know churches being built today are look a lot like look a lot like St. Francis Xavier, and that is they're they're mu- much more traditional. They're a heavy emphasis on beauty, um, heavy emphasis on the the transcendent, uh, on height, um, but also on I mean just on uh, as Bishop Barron would say leading with beauty, right? You know that we when people come in, there's almost like too much to look at. Good, good. Maybe you'll stay a while, and <laughs> and 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 walk with us and and learn about. Well, who is Saint Francis Xavier? It's not just someone we named the church after, but he was a real man who w- was an incredible evangelist. What are we trying to do? We're trying to ev- evangelize Payne County, Oklahoma. Well, well, who who can we look to as a model? Look at that guy right over there. See the sta- exactly. see that statue right there. Let's be more like him. And this is daily, constant. I mean, if you're in the church every day, I see Saint Francis Xavier, his statue, staring back at me and with say, a big cross. He said, "You suck, O'Brien. O'Brien. You stink." <laughs> Get it together. You got to do more. Your prayer needs to be more fervent. Set your heart on fire, yes. O'Brien. You need to, you know, stop. Don't be lazy. That's why today. I took I took St. Francis Xavier and put him in a closet because I didn't want him, like, telling me the same thing. Well, your church named after, you know, St. John the Evangelist, right? What, a, what an incredible writer. Uh, personal friend of the Lord Jesus who took care of Mary when her son died. Like, what an incredible person. And so let's put up a statue of him and let's name a church after him so that we can be inspired by his life. He was a firm follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to be. 
And so I'm going to put this statue up to remind me to be more like him. That doesn't mean it's like, well, do I choose Jesus or, or St. Francis Xavier? Oh, no. What do I, you know, who do, who do I choose today? I mean a conundrum. No, no. I mean a conundrum. Always I choosing don't... Jesus, but we have this wonderful example of one who followed Jesus in a wonderful and beautiful way. And so we put up a statue to remind us and to help us pray. To lead the mind where the body should go. Yep. Yep. And it's beautiful. Just beautiful artwork draws people. Do you have a favorite piece of art? Ever? Like, do you have a favorite painting? I like all things Caravaggio. Okay. I love the Caravaggio. Uh, uh, Calling Matthew, the tax collector. I love Caravaggio, that, that one. The, I love the the conversion of St. Paul. Uh, the one f- I have in my office yeah. is an image of, uh, of Jesus after his death and being carried, taken oh, down yeah. from the cross and carried to the tomb. One of my new favorite ones is the that painting of the Last Supper in the Louvre. Like it's across from the Da Vinci painting, the little one of the woman. What's that called? Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. They're in the same room facing each other, and one is like fifty feet tall, and one is like nobody five cares to about ten. the Last Supper. They and just it, it's see it's the so Mona beautiful Lisa. because I actually I'd use it during marriage preparation, and the couple when I show it to them, they one couple goes, "Look at Jesus and Mary." They're very stable. They're looking at you, and mayhem is going on. They're like people falling off columns and dogs running through and just wild stuff. It's beautiful. That's Love what it. it does. The art helps the mind move the body to heaven. So I hope you'll come. If you haven't seen our uh, little St. Teresa of Calcutta statue, come on by. And pray. Hang out and, with Jesus. And pray. The, the tabernacle is there, and Mother Teresa is staring right at you. Wow awesome what a beautiful gift awesome. congratulations so we hope everybody has a great week uh we're, we're blessed that you're listening and uh keep spreading the word and uh, come see us in Stillwater if you are not here what's wrong with you come, come by us. for football season god bless